0: some form or another, you know, I, I say, well, I want to be good at this video game, but I don't want to practice at it or this sport, but I don't want to practice at it. I mean, I, I would love to be better at uh softball. Um, but the reality is if I was going to get better, I would need to take like lessons from Graham or someone. Um, Graham and I play on the same softball team and he crushes it and I, yeah, I don't know. I don't embarrass myself too bad. I don't think. Um, you know, or I might have this, you know, dream of like, well, I want to lose weight, um, but I really like chips and cookies. Okay, the two don't, the two just don't, don't go together. And I think one of the big problems with our current society um, is is this sense of we all want stuff, but we don't want to work for that stuff, right? Um, There's this sense of entitlement, whether it's uh, as a, a large picture, big picture with our society, whether it's healthcare education high paying jobs single family homes we all are like well this is the american dream these are the things that i should have and the government should give these things to me right and um, and i don't want to get too many, into too many social issues here but let's go with one really practical to teenagers okay um, this probably doesn't apply if you're a 6th grader but you know by the time you're in 8th grade or a freshman in high school and such there's like this this assumption that all teenagers should have a cell phone and my parents should pay for that cell phone, okay? I mean, let's be honest, that's kind of the the way that everyone thinks um, in in our society, okay? But even if you were given a a, a low-end phone uh, here, it's gonna cost your parents somewhere around $600 a year for you to have that phone. Between the monthly service fees, buying the phone, fixing it, you know, you crack your screen again. Whatever, it's going to cost somewhere around there. The reality is, half of the world's population, half of the world's population lives off less than that a year. And so, just that that basic assumption that we have that that I should get this, you know, sometime in in my in my. Uh, late junior high, a high school time frame that I should get this and this is a right and I could not believe my parents would be so unfair that they aren't giving me a cell phone right now. That is that what we assume is a basic right. Half of the world's population, all their food, all their everything, that's all they live off an entire year. And so, I I don't say that to say, you know, having a cell phone is wrong, and in this culture, I understand it, but I want you to understand, we live in a very entitled culture that says, I should just be given stuff. And notice, I've been really careful to say we, okay? I deal with this stuff just as much as you guys, okay? And now it might look a little different than things that I feel entitled to, but we all deal with this to some, uh, some degree. And today, as we continue this series, uh, looking at the book of Joshua, all about the character that's required to, to enter into the promised land. Um, we, we all want to be in the promised land, right? Um, everyone here is here, I, I would hope would say, yes, I would love to have a fulfilling walk with the Lord where I have, where I have peace, where I have joy, where I have hope. Um, regardless of the situations that, that I'm facing, where I have just this satisfaction in life. I don't think anyone here is like, you know what? I just, I really want to be stressed out all the time. I don't want any joy. Joy is terrible. That's the worst thing you could ever do for me. Like, no one thinks that way. We all have that desire to, to, to live like that. But a lot of times I think we just are like, well, I should just have them. If that's my desire... Why don't I have it? You know, see, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, you know. I prayed I prayed that prayer, um, but, but why am I still worried? Why am I anxious? Why do I feel unfulfilled in my relationship with the Lord? And, and we can easily get to this conclusion where we maybe think, well, maybe, maybe the problem is it's Jesus. Jesus just doesn't work, you know. I, I've talked with a lot of people in life that are in their mid twenties. They're like, "Well, yeah, when I was in high school, I, you know, I kind of tried out that Jesus thing, and it just didn't work. Didn't work for me, you know." And, and I think part of the disconnect for a lot of us, uh, and in my in myself at times in life, is I'm like, "Well, God, I want the peace, I want the joy, I want the hope, I want the life that you offer." But you know what? I'm busy, and i, I just I really don't want to spend time with you, and that just takes effort. Um, and, and let's be real, God, I'm not that bad of a person. Okay. You know, it's not like I'm an ax murdering drug dealer or any of those, like there's those bad kids at my school and I'm not one of the bad kids at my school. Right. So because I'm not like, I'm not them, I'm, I'm better than them. Like, God, you kind of owe me this, right? Like I'm, I'm a generally a, a good person. So I expect now that I, I, I get the benefits here. And I want us to see from the nation of Israel, remember, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And there, during that 40 years in the wilderness, they were still God's children. It's not like God is like, I, I hate you and I never want to see you again. I'm just owning you. They were still God's children. Even in their judgment of spending 40 years in the wilderness because of their unbelief, God daily provided manna for them. He gave them the food they need and the water they needed. He provided for them in that. So it's not like God is saying, hey, I'm, I'm just totally casting you off. But they were still experiencing his judgment. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of God's children. Um, you have passed from death to life and you will spend an eternity with God in heaven. However, that doesn't mean that Everything is going to be perfect again. The Israelites—they spent forty years in a wilderness because of their unbelief. And I believe I—I I just feel like I've met so many Christians and that spend their whole lives uh, as followers of God. They may show up to church every Sunday, um, but not really enjoying the blessings that God has for them. It's just like, well, I—you know—I go to church on Sunday. Like, hey, that's cool. I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, I lie a, a little bit, you know. I got this problem over here, and you know that problem over here. But I'm not like I'm not like one of those people. And the the reality is, then then they falsely conclude that God just doesn't work and His promises aren't real. See, we may have the ability, we may have the skills, but without the discipline, without the coaching, we're never going to achieve the dream. And I encourage you the the what I really encourage us to do today is really fighting for purity. What I would love to really challenge us in today is, will we fight to live a pure life before the Lord? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Lord, I, um, I, I just I realize um, man, what I'm talking about today, there's, there's elements of it that I know are just very countercultural and um, just not popular. So uh, God, I pray that you give us ears to hear from your Word today. Um, and God... Would you teach us, would you instruct us, and would you change us? For your name, for your honor, and your glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, just uh, quick things of context, just a reminder. Uh, Last week, uh, we talked. uh, Lee was talking a little bit about how God took the nation of Israel across the Jordan River, and the first battle he wants them to fight is Jericho. And they they win the Battle of Jericho in a very unorthodox uh, fashion. They walk around in a bunch, and Lee, last week, blew his little ram's horn thingy, And uh, and the walls came down. Now, before that fight, before that battle, God told Joshua and tells the people, don't take any of the plunder, don't take any of the loot of the city for yourselves. And this is what we read in Joshua 6, uh, starting in verse 17. It says, the city and all that's in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are in her house are to be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Basically, before they took Jericho, they had sent a few spies. Rahab had protected them. So Rahab was going to be safe. Then it continues in verse 18, But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble about it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So, what God is saying here is, hey, you guys are going to take a lot of cities later on, but this first big city that you take, I want you to take all the, everything valuable in it, and that's going to be devoted to the Lord. Don't take it for yourself, and he's, he makes it really clear. Stay away from that. And he gives them a really clear warning. Take care of my house first, um, and if you don't, don't covet that stuff. Stay away from it, or it will bring trouble on you. So they clearly knew what would happen um, if they didn't obey. But you guys know the story, uh, what happens uh, in uh, Joshua 7, verse 1, it says, But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Again, you know the deal. They sin. Uh, Achan t- takes some uh, Takes some of the stuff that he wasn't supposed to, that were devoted to the Lord. And so what happens next is they go to, they go to spy out the next town. they were going to take uh, AI and uh, they spy it out. And they're like, ah, oh, a so tiny wussy town, we can easily take it. Don't send the whole army there. Uh, just send about 3000 guys. It'd be no problem. Those 3000 guys go to AI and um, they go to AI and they get routed by the troops at AI and 36 men uh, of the Israelites die. And all of a sudden the nation of Israel goes into this major panic. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize the death of 36 of their brothers, but there's this major panic that breaks out in the camp. And we read this in verse 6 of Joshua 7. Then Joshua tore his clothes, a sign of weeping, and fell down on his face uh, to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. Again, they're in this weeping and mourning state. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us today? If only we'd be content to stay on the other side of the Jordan, pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by his enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What? what then will you do for your own great name? Again, I'm not trying to minimize the fact that 36 people died in in this battle, but realistically, this is a really minor problem that they have, okay? You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe they got like a level 2 problem in front of them. And you see this like over-the-top dramatic emo response out of Joshua, right? I got a little problem, and he's, like, weeping and wailing. God, why did you even bring us here? We should have been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, this is terrible. The world is going to end. Oh, my goodness. He's so, like, dramatic. Woe is us. Again, he's got this, like, level 2 problem and this level 10 response of drama. Okay? And, and yeah, I'm sure you've seen people flipping out over something minor, and that's what you see here. See, they had this dream that they're just going to, like, Walk in, and we got God on our side, and God's always going to deliver us, and there's going to be no problems. We're just going to go, and we got a sword, and we're going you know, to take this land, no problem. And all of a sudden, that, that dream is shattered, is shaken a little bit, and they are freaking out. And I love God's response to Joshua in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing on your face? He's like, Knock off the weeping level 10 drama. This is ridiculous, Joshua. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They put them in their own possessions. That is why the Israelites can't stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Again, I just love God's God's response. He's like, Joshua, knock it off, man. This is silly. You sinned. You messed up. You need to deal with it. The stuff I told you to destroy, I need you to deal with it. And then let's move on. Deal with the real issue. God is like drama level 10, unnecessary. Let's, let's take it back to level two where it needs to be. And, and I think God is like, man, you don't see the disconnect. We want the promised land, but we don't want the discipline that goes along the way. We need hard work and coaching to make it to the dream. And one of the realities of following God is there will be times of discipline. There will be times of instruction that God gives before gives to us. And how are we responding to those times? Are we just in freak-out mode all the time? I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick and just, just maybe share one story, one time where you've seen someone give like a level 10 drama to a level 2 problem, okay? Level 10 drama, level 2 problem. Share a quick story. Go. And I'm going to be really practical for, practical for a minute. And uh, I know this isn't going to be the most popular. Um, but the primary way that you guys are experiencing God's discipline right now is honestly through your parents. God put them in your life for a reason to guide you. And so they discipline you when you, when you lie to them. Or, um, uh, you know, they discipline you to keep you focused on what uh, you're supposed to be focusing on. And I would say I also experience the Lord's discipline a lot, and I think for me it's, it's more um, the things that normally give me joy stop giving me joy when I'm experiencing his discipline. But I'm going to focus on your parents' discipline. How many of you respond to your parents' discipline just like Joshua does right here? I mean, be real. As you think through it, the times where your parents have said, hey, no screen time for the rest of the day. What's your level of freak out over that? Be real. I know enough of you. And I've talked to enough of your parents to know the number of freakouts that you've had to your parents over like level two problems. And your parents, a lot of them are like, really struggling you know uh with some of that you know and, and and the problem is like your parents you know kind of discipline you and you're like i can't believe my parents do this they're the worst you're so unfair you know timmy's mom lets him do that my parents don't and timmy uh, i don't know i'm just picking random names okay but you guys say hey, hey I'm, I'm real serious here for a second okay if we're honest with ourselves, how many level 10 drama freakouts have we given to our parents over a level 2 discipline issue? And is it really, if your parents take away screens for the rest of the day or the week or whatever, is it really worth going to your room, throwing this huge fit, um, and, just, and just fuming? And your parents are probably going to discipline you even more. Or do you... Or do you suck it up and say, okay, God, how do I learn from this? Okay, even if my parents' command was ridiculous and unfair, I'm not going to argue whether it was fair or right or, well, my parents did this. No, was so stupid. Yes, your parents do stupid things, okay? I will fully admit that. As a dad, I do plenty of stupid things. You can ask my kids about it, okay? Regardless of that, will I stop and say, okay, God, I want to hear from you in this moment? God, I believe you are teaching me right now, even if I think this is ridiculous. And before you complain about your parents, I want you to think about a few questions. If they have disciplining you, think about this question first. Was I knowingly doing anything wrong? Even if you feel their discipline is overly harsh, were you doing something that you knew was wrong? Even if you weren't directly disobeying your parents... Did, did I do something that I knew I probably shouldn't do? Okay, yes, I know I'm not supposed to punch my sister, but I just shot her with an airsoft gun, right? Like, what's the big deal, right? Like, you knew that probably was a dumb idea and you did it anyway. And then finally, is there any element of truth beyond what your parents are saying about how you should act differently? Now, if you, can, if you can honestly say, I didn't do anything wrong, I didn't do anything I even thought could be wrong, and I don't see any element of truth behind what my parents are saying, then maybe you have an argument. But other than that, will you stop and say, okay, God, what do you even want me to teach me, even if I don't think that this is fair? And I realize this is radical, um, but this will have a huge impact on your life. I see all the time in my life, in my own relationship with the Lord, I do the same thing where I am rejecting his discipline, rejecting what he wants to teach me by giving this level 10 drama stuff. Back to Joshua. And so the, the Israelites are like, okay, we need to figure out who messed up. Um, and so they cast lots, kind of like rolling dice or something like that. And they're like, well, a, first of all, we know it's from the tribe of Judah. And then was, then they go to a clan and family and a man. And then they finally are like, Achan. We know it's you. And in verse 19 of Joshua 6, we read this. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. He's like, dude, you've been caught. God caught you. We don't even know what you did, but you did something. So fess up. And Achan replied in verse 20, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. They end up stoning him and and burning the stuff in in judgment. But I want you to notice this progression here of this this pattern of sin. Because if we're going to fight for purity, I I first of all think we need to deal with and and accept discipline. Um, But if we're going to fight for purity, we need to understand the same progression in our own life. First of all, he says he saw it. He was around it, okay? Um, this is what you watch. This is the friends that you're around, what you listen to. These are the influences in your life. What are the influences that are around you? Nothing wrong with seeing things. You didn't sin by just seeing, uh, by seeing the gold and the silver. But if you put yourself around a whole bunch of bad influences, we all know what happens. So first he says he saw it. Then he says he coveted it or he wanted it. Um, You aren't acting out on it, but you want what other people have. And I see my friends doing things that I know they shouldn't be doing, um, but they're doing it, and they seem to be having fun doing it, and they're not experiencing any of the consequences. So maybe I'm missing out, and maybe I should try that too. That's what the popular people are doing, and, and we want that. We covet it. And then he says he took it. That's the, the act of I'm, I'm actively engaging in that. And it probably feels really good right now because I took it. Hey, I got this extra gold. Hey, I'm having this fun. I'm experiencing the, in, the initial pleasure of it, all the extra cool stuff and benefits that I have. But Then you'll notice it says that he had to hide it. He hid it. He has to cover it up because he's ashamed of what he did. And we do the same thing. When we, after we finish and, and we enjoy that pleasure for a short time, then we're ashamed of it. And we have to figure out ways, uh, ways to cover it up because I'm guilty about it. And ultimately, when we sin, we're not going to enjoy our relationship with the Lord. You know, if, you're, if your parents tell you to take out the trash or something like that, and you're like, oh, that's stupid, I don't want to have to do that. You know that that's going to have an impact on your relationship with your parents. Um, and in the, in the same way, if you're knowingly violating what God has asked you to do, you know that that impacts your relationship with him. And we shouldn't be all like, woe is me? Oh my gosh, this is like, why, why, why can't I have the, the peace and joy and all this stuff? And the Christian life just doesn't work. When it's really a, a, an issue of purity in our own life. And I'm saying, I don't really care about purity. An impure Christian life doesn't work. And so I would challenge you to think through, Where are you in this? Are you seeing some things you know you shouldn't be seeing? You're around those bad influences, whether it's media or friends, and you're just kind of like okay hanging out with it. You know they aren't healthy for you. You know that's not a good influence in your life. But you're like, I just, I like it. I don't want to change that. If I'm going to fight for purity, it starts with me saying, hey, those are the poor influences in my life, and I want to reject those and flee from them. You know, you've you got to know that those influences eventually lead you in a, in a bad direction. Um, maybe you're, maybe you're kind of at the coveting stage. You're like, well, I'm not, I'm not actually doing it. I've been around a lot, but I want to. I'm not acting out, but I want to. I think this should be practical in one area, I, I think especially for a lot of you uh, high schoolers here, um, this is a huge issue in the area of sexual purity. Our world is screaming to you that it 's just fun. you should go ahead and enjoy it don 't worry about anything uh, and just it 's no big deal. You need to experiment in this area it 'll help you in life by experimenting. I mean, you look at most modern. Uh, TV, Netflix, YouTube, Hulu, whatever platform shows that you're watching. And I'll say this is one of my greatest pet peeves with modern entertainment is they show a lot of uh, couples having premarital sex, but they almost never show any consequences behind it. And it's like, well, hey, we can just do this. And this is what everyone is having fun and, and doing. And they never show the issues and the side effects of it. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of secular data. And I even just talking about data from Christian organizations about the link between sexually active teenagers and depression. And there's a, it's really clear that a, the least depressed group is the abstinent group there. Um, and now a lot of scientists are going to say, well, you know, well, is it the depression causing the sexual activity or the sexual activity causing depression? I'm not going to get into that. But what I can really clearly tell you is this. I cannot tell you how many people I have counseled in this area that have huge regrets. Between Bob Lee, Charlotte, and I, we, I could tell you, I could probably be up here for out, I don't know how many hours telling you story after story about a kid who did something and they just really regretted it, how it negatively impacted their life, the shame. And that's the stuff that no one talks about in in our modern media. They're just like, oh, I do whatever. They don't talk about the shame and the guilt or any of that sort of stuff associated with it because it's doing something outside of God's design and it's going to have consequences. And our world doesn't tell you about that. Um, And I've never, you know, in the different weddings I've officiated, I've never once officiated a wedding and been like, you know what? On your wedding day, are you bummed that you didn't have sex with more people in high school? Are you bummed that you didn't date more girls in high school or do more inappropriate things? No one has ever said on their wedding day, you know what, I just wish I'd had another girlfriend in high school, right? And no one has wish i said, hey, I had another boyfriend in high school. Like if, and my prayer for you is if you're in that kind of coveting stage where you're like, man, I, I see what other people are doing and they, they look like they're having fun, is flee. Run as hard and as fast as you can, because that is a lie that this world is, is thrown at you so hard. And as my prayer for you is, is, I mean, really God's command for us in, in sexual temptation is to flee and to run. It, it will always, 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 always leave you empty and rob you of the life that God wants. Rob you of the promised land that God desires for you. Third group, if you're maybe in that group where you're like, look, I know I'm actively taking. I know that there is sin that I keep doing, and I'm just kind of in the middle of that, actively engaging in the sin. I would encourage you that now is the time to repent. Talk to your parents. Talk to one of the leaders here. Talk to me. I'd be happy to talk to you about any of that. And not in a judgmental way. I can't believe you did that. Man, I've talked. You're not going to surprise any of our leaders. I know that this world is hard and the temptation is real. But you know that it's killing you. The promised land of peace and life won't come as long as you're trapped in the sin. Bring it into the light and let someone help you walk you through uh, healing. Finally, maybe you're in the group that you're in hiding. You're like, look, I'm not actively in the sin, but I'm filled with shame over something that I did in the past. Maybe I just feel like trash and maybe I should just keep going back to sin because because I just, I feel so empty. Know that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, died on a cross to pay for that shame that you feel right now. You know, I I know I've been talking a lot today about, you know, hey, you need to be disciplined. If if you want to really experience a, a great relationship with the Lord, do not forget how your relationship and my relationship with God starts. And that's by what he has already done for us. See, while I was a total worthless garbage sinner, whatever negative descriptor you want to put on my life, the God of the universe chose to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live a perfect life and die on a cross for your sins and for my sins. While I was worthless, God said, I see you and I love you and I give you value. He is the one who defines me. He's the one who gives me value. He's the one who gives me hope. He's the one who gives me purpose. He's the one who gives me life. And I pray that you would understand the value that God has placed on your life by sending his son to die on a cross for your sins and for mine, to give eternal life to anyone who would place their faith, their hope, in him and in him alone. See, God wants us to experience a vibrant Christian life full of joy, hope, and peace, and and a satisfaction in in what we're doing. But so many of our sins are robbing us, and they're killing us. And that's why I, I believe we need to fight for purity. We need to be a people of character that are like, you know, that starts off, as we started this series, that, that we're strong and courageous. We remember who God is. We remember his good character. We're choosing to obey, as Lee talked about last week. And we are fighting, fighting to remain pure before the Lord and following his commands for our lives because he is the one who created us, he's the one who designed us, and he's the one who knows best for, for us. We can't have this disconnect between, hey, I want this life, but I don't want to put the effort in. I want to just do my own thing. Don't reject God's discipline. Don't whine about it. If you're in temptation, flee from it. Bring it to the light because God wants you to have life and find it in his promised land. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, I, I just, again, thank you for a gorgeous day that you've blessed us with. I thank you for just the truth of your word. Lord, I do pray for each of our students here. I know that uh, they're in the middle of some uh, really tough, tough battles. I pray for those that are just kind of seeing it and seeing temptation. They're just kind of around it. Um, I pray that they would, uh, I pray that they would reject it and flee from it. I pray for those that are just really coveting and say, man, I want it, I want it, I want it. I pray that you would give them a greater passion for you and your word. Pray for those that are, that are in it or just ashamed of their own sin. Pray that they would know that you died for them and find grace and mercy. God, you are a good and gracious God, and we just give you praise and worship today. God, may we be pure uh, and honor you in that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As the uh, worship team is coming up, I want you to turn, turn to your neighbor real quick and answer this question in the next minute. What would it practically look like for you to fight for purity? We talked about discipline. We talked about seeing, coveting, taking, hiding. What is one area it would practically look like for you to fight for purity? Thanks.